Everyone desires freedom from guilt and shame. Uh, I've never met a person who wants to feel guilty or ashamed. They might exist, but I've never met one. And Christians believe that our faith in Jesus removes our guilt and shame, which it does. We believe it's part of our salvation that Jesus took our guilt and shame upon himself on the cross. And yet many Christians still struggle with guilty and shameful feelings. Sometimes our feelings do not match our beliefs. Every follower of Jesus also desires to be a good person. A person who possesses an inner goodness that expresses itself outwardly through good thoughts and good words and good actions. Christians believe that they should be good people and do good things. And good hearts and good behavior is a consistent and foundational teaching of Scripture. But sometimes we don't feel like a good person. Many Christians struggle with thinking bad thoughts, saying harmful words, or doing hurtful things. Sometimes our desire to be good doesn't match our experience of life. This morning we'll consider these realities and how to experience the freedom and goodness we desire as we continue in our current sermon series about encountering the Spirit. And to do this, this morning we're going to get some help from the Apostle Paul whom God inspired to write a lot about these things in his various letters, especially in his letter to the Galatians. Paul wrote this letter we're going to be reading from this morning to the churches in Galatia, which he had started about a year before when he had traveled there to tell people about Jesus. And Galatia is in modern-day kind of central South Turkey. And so if you're trying to place it geographically, it's in, it's in the modern-day country of Turkey, kind of in that central South area. It was interesting when Lena and I, as a very, very side note, um, when Lena and I lived in Turkey for a while and traveled around, it was really interesting being in these places like, oh, this is where Paul preached. Oh, this is where this happened to Paul. Oh, this is where it was really interesting to be in these places, these places where there were these churches that were written to. It was like, oh, this is Colossae, we're the church of the Colossians. And so it was a, a really great experience. And, but when we're reading this letter, uh, it's important to keep in mind that most of the first converts to Christianity, those that, who put their f- faith in Jesus first, uh, were Jewish people. That was their background. They were, they were Jewish background believers in Jesus. Which meant that the majority of the people in the early churches had lived their lives up to that date according to Jewish traditions and beliefs. Which was all about obeying the laws of Moses as they were taught. And so most of the people in the Galatian churches had this Jewish background. Paul came, told them about Jesus, and they put their faith in Jesus, but from that background of being Jewish. But some Gentiles, which is the word for non-Jewish people, so you were either Jewish or you were a Gentile. There was no other category. Some Gentiles, non-Jewish people, also believed the good news about Jesus and became part of the church. So that's kind of the setting for what's happening in this letter to Galatians. So Paul wrote this letter to these people to address a specific problem where certain people had come into the churches 
and were teaching the non-Jewish converts, the Gentiles, that they still needed to follow parts of the Jewish law. And specifically, they insisted that the men needed to be circumcised, which was a central belief of the Jewish faith. Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith and, and the one to whom God first gave circumcision instructions as a sign of God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And only the males who were circumcised were considered God's people and recipients of his promises. So you have to go back to Genesis, Genesis 12, to read about that. And so Paul called these people who were teaching this in the church, he called them Judaizers. They were, they were trying to Judaize the believers to turn them back to following the law in that sense. And so he began the letter by reminding the churches of his authority, of who he was, that he was the one that came to them and preached to them about Jesus, that he was an apostle of God, that, that God had given him this authority, not, not, not a person, not any organization. He was authorized by God to bring these teachings to them. And after he did that, he jumps right into the problem. So in Galatians 1, chapter 6, Sorry, sorry, Galatians 1, verse 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And then he goes on from there to explain the, the nature of the gospel, what the good news is, and his own personal testimony as a recipient of the good news and as a preacher of it. And then he goes back to addressing their problem in chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you, as, you had, as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And then he goes into this lengthy, detailed explanation about the difference between grace and the law and how God's promises to Abraham and his seed, his descendants, was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.19. So why then, he says, why was the law given? 
Why is there a law? Why is there a law of Moses? It was given alongside the promise to Abraham to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the promise, the child, Jesus, who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party has to, must reach an agreement, but God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave the promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So, deep, rich theology in that explaining about what all of this was about. What was the law about? Why, why, is the law, why, why have things changed? Why did Jesus change things in that way? So he carries on in that, uh, giving some more uh, detail about that. And then in the first half of chapter 5, Paul explains this freedom in greater detail. And he argues that these Judaizers' teaching of circumcision is a violation of the gospel and it leads people into spiritual bondage in contrast with the freedom that we find through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the entire law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, You've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself 
in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that works through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching to you that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. And, and, and this translation dials that back. Uh, what he literally says, a little means, those who want you to be circumcised, I wish they would castrate themselves. I wish they would mutilate their body. He's, and so we're like, whoa, Paul, settle down. <laughs> He's really worked up here. It sounds like uh, one of those emails that you write to someone when you're really mad at them and you're supposed to wait a day before he hits send. <laughs> but you didn't wait. Paul hits send. Right? It's like, this is intense. Like this, he's, he's saying words here. He sees things. And it's like, why? Because he knew how dangerous their situation really was. He knew that the Galatian churches were at risk of losing their faith and their freedom in Jesus. It's like a movie scene where somebody throws a, a glass of cold water in someone's face to get their attention. It's like, whoa. He knew that strong language was needed. He knew he had needed to come at this hard, not beat around the bush. It's like everything rests on this. If you, if you accept this teaching, this false teaching that's come into your midst, you're losing everything. You're losing your freedom. You're losing your faith. You're, you're stepping outside of God's grace. You're now trying to earn your favor with God through your own human effort. And it's not just this one thing then. You have to do everything. And it's impossible. Because nobody is that good. Before we continue on, this this letter to the Galatians, it, it provides us with a, a general warning about being deceived by false teaching. Whether deceived by our own false ideas or through other people who are teaching things that don't reflect the historical and broadly accepted understanding of Scripture. They could be people we know who have some sort of influence in our lives, like a pastor. Or it could be people we don't know but who have influence over us through their teaching in books, articles, podcasts, videos, or social media. And some of these people genuinely believe what they teach. They genuinely believe that, that what they're teaching is the truth. Even though their teaching would have solicited a harsh email from Paul if he heard about it. Some of these influencers, though, are deceptive liars who have selfish ulterior motives. They exist. Jesus talked about beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. There are people out there who are intentionally trying to deceive people to get followers 
or other motives. Tragically, I've seen both in my decades of pastoral ministry. I've seen well-intentioned, well-meaning people who sincerely believe something that is not what Scripture teaches according to what would be considered the historical, broadly accepted teachings of Scripture. And I've seen wolves in sheep's clothing, and I'm sure you have too. False teaching and false teachers exist, and Scripture warns us to be aware, to be alert, to pay attention. And the way we do that is by knowing the truth. You've probably heard it said before that, and, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it, but it sounds good, that uh, the, the way that in banks they, they learned what a counterfeit isn't by, isn't by studying counterfeit money, but by studying real money. So that when something that isn't real comes across, it's like, that doesn't look right. The way we know the truth is by immersing ourselves in the truth studying it for ourselves, not just believing it because Pastor Barry said it. Know it for yourselves. Like, hey, wait, is that, is that what Scripture teaches? And we could dig into it. But regardless of motives, the fruit of false teaching is always the same. Firstly, it produces attitudes and behaviors that are contrary to the gospel. As Paul wrote, an imitation gospel is no gospel at all. It's not good news, it's bad news. It produces things like judgment and pride and indifference. And secondly, when people discover that they've been deceived, they're deeply hurt and often become disillusioned in their faith. And I've met people like that. It's tragic. Deception and wrong belief always causes harm. Which is why Paul used such strong letter in this letter to the Galatians. He was protecting the church from harmful deception. And he knew that their very lives and souls were at stake. Now in the rest of chapter 5, in the first part of chapter 6, Paul explains what the Christian life is supposed to look like as empowered by the Spirit. And he's showing it at that right belief always leads to right behavior. And that wrong belief always leads to wrong behavior. And that by living by the Spirit, not by the law, is what produces true freedom. That freedom begins with this proper understanding of our relationship with God, that we are saved by grace and not by obeying a bunch of rules. And once we understand our freedom in Christ, we live out that freedom in real life. And especially in our relationships with other people. Paul's motivation to explain this was probably in response to these Judaizers teaching that without the law, people are going to do all sorts of terrible sinful things. They need to know the rules. They need to follow the rules. Otherwise, they're going to get up to all kinds of stuff. But as Paul explains, the law doesn't and can't make us good. It doesn't have that power. That's not what it existed for. It just to remind us of what isn't good, to remind us of our own natural human sinful state and our need for God's grace. That's the purpose of the law. Our natural tendency, our natural, sorry, tendency, human tendency of this, this broken part of us is towards harm. Self-harm, harm towards others. That's, that's, there's this nature within us that, that 
moves in that direction. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to live rightly by producing good inside of us. Right? Jesus talked about that when he was talking to the Pharisees. He said, he says, it's out of the overflow of a man's heart that the mouth speaks. It's this stuff that's already inside of you that's coming out of your mouth. And the change happens when God changes our hearts. He writes his law on our hearts and we now have this inner goodness that spills out into the lives of those around us. A goodness that benefits everyone, including ourselves. And so the Holy Spirit, not the law, is what transforms us into becoming more like Jesus. And people who have been transformed by the Spirit and continue to live in the Spirit's power become the people through whom Jesus changes the world. So let's read this. Let's read what Paul talked about right after talking about the freedom that we have in Christ, not the law. Verse 13 in Galatians 5. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow your, sorry, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and things like these. Let me tell you again as I have before, that anyone living this sort of, that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you you are spiritually mature should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share others' burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. 
If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. <clears throat> Sorry, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Now, I realize that there's a lot of information in what I just read. A lot. In fact, that section of Scripture could be broken up into a lengthy sermon series alone. There's so much in there. But I've, I felt something else. I, I've, I felt I wanted to encourage you to do something with that rather than going into details of explaining those different things and talking about that and kind of digging deeper into each one. I want to encourage you to read that passage of Scripture again on your own this week. To read through that. To read it, to study it, to think about it, and to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what he wants to show you in it. And I guarantee that the Spirit will speak to you through it. That there's a lot of stuff in there. As I, I was reading through it, I've read through it a few times over the past week. And every time, God's been speaking to me through it. And so I guarantee, as you're reading through that, that God's going to start talking to you about things. Things that lead you into freedom, not bondage. Things that will bring about the life of the Spirit within you and, and, and stir up this goodness that God is creating in you that wants to spill out. The Holy Spirit's work is always, always about bringing people into freedom, not bringing them into places of guilt or shame. Always. This is why we are called to be a people who live by the Spirit. That's where the life is, right in that place. I invite our worship team to come up. I want to invite you to stand with me as we pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you haven't left us guessing and wondering who is the one who made all of this. God, you have given us your words to tell us who you are, to tell us what you've done, to tell us who we are, to tell us what you're going to be doing. And so we're grateful, God, for your word this morning. And God, your word has been speaking to us this morning about the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. 
that it's only in and through Jesus that we can experience true freedom. Then that freedom isn't something that we can earn or try to make happen on our own. It's by your grace. It is a gift from you. Freedom is your gift to us because we put our faith and trust in you, Jesus. We've accepted you. We believe in you. And so we ask this morning that you would help us. Holy Spirit, you, you came to guide us into all truth, to be our teacher. And so we ask you would guide us into truth this morning. I pray, God, that if any of us here this morning who are listening, God, that, that if we are trying to make ourselves right with you, through whatever means it is, that, that we feel it's up to us, God, that we need to be good enough in order to be accepted by you. God, I pray that you would help us shift from that mindset into a mindset of, it's all your grace. You offer it freely to us, and we can receive it, not because of anything we've done, but because of your love. God, help us to accept your unconditional grace this morning. And then, God, help us to be people of the Spirit. God, you know this inner battle within us that, that, that it has these desires to, to think wrongly, to speak wrongly, to act wrongly, God, to, to do things or say things that, that we, we, we shouldn't, that are harmful to us and to others. But God, instead that you would be working this, this life within us, God, that spills out into those around us. A, a life that is defined by love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That, that those are the things, Holy Spirit, that you are working inside of us that wants to spill out into the lives of those around us. God, I pray this week as we, as we look to your word, as we reread this passage of Scripture about what this Spirit-filled life looks like, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would build us, God, that, that we wouldn't receive any sort of guilt or shame or condemnation because that doesn't come from you, but it would build us more and more into the people you created us to be. Holy Spirit, come and fill us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.